During the 18 years I spent in North America, Eric Severide was one of America's most able and popular commentators. On his retirement, he was reminiscing about his many years as a news commentator in the nation's capital. He talked of another commentator who he said knew everything and everyone worth knowing. The president, the diplomats, the senators, the president's cabinet, key bureaucrats and the socially elite. He had the contacts. He was stuffed with information. There was only one problem, Severide said. He never used it. He forgot what he was here for. In a time when our church appears to be flourishing, fresh and alive from the inspiration of the 40 days together, in some cases stuffed with new information, with everyone enjoying the warmth of the fellowship that is friendly and accepting, the danger is that we allow ourselves to be carried away in enjoyment of what we have here and forget what we're here for. So from the book of Acts and the pen of Dr Luke the historian, I want to highlight this morning the actions required of a growing church to keep it growing. And to do this, I want to lead you in the first place in an exercise of mathematics. Maths was not my favourite subject at school, so you can be certain I'll not stretch your IQ too far. I'll keep it very simple. When I was at school doing maths, I worked very hard and I noticed that it was the teacher who got paid for it. <laughs> From the book of Acts we discover how the church grew in Jerusalem in those early days. Let's start with Acts 1.15. During this time, Luke says, that is the time shortly after the resurrection of Jesus, on a day when 120 believers were present. So we start there with 120 believers. Now on the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached to the crowd, we're told in Acts 2.41, those who believed what Peter said were baptised and added to the church about 3,000 in all. So that brings the total to... 3,120. The record continues in Acts 2.47. Each day the Lord added to their group those who were being saved. How many days in the year are there? 365. So at least 365 were added to the church each year. The total in the first year is now 3,485. Now look at Acts 4 and 4. Peter and John are preaching and the Bible says, but many of the people who heard their message believed it so that the number of believers totaled about 5,000 men. 
not counting women and children. So when you have 5,000 men, how many women do you usually have? At least 5,000 plus teenagers. Maybe 15 to 20,000 people at this stage. Let's move on to Acts 5 and 12 to 14. And the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. No one else dared to join them, though everyone had high regard for them. And more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. The church is now just exploding with growth. This sentence and more and more people believed in the Greek is in the impassive tense, which means literally they kept on being added. It's a repetitive thing. So we come to Acts 5, 27 and 28. Peter and John, recently miraculously released from prison, were teaching in the temple. The officer in charge of the temple guards heard this news and they came to rearrest Peter and John. Verse 27. Then they brought the apostles in before the council. Didn't we tell you never again to teach in this man's name? The high priest demanded. Instead, you filled Jerusalem, all of Jerusalem, with your teaching about Jesus. What a tribute. They had spread the teaching of the gospel right throughout Jerusalem. That's an understatement. Acts 6 and 1 continues the story. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, the church kept growing rapidly. And Acts 6 and 7 records God's message was preached in ever-widening circles. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. These were Jewish priests who previously were antagonistic to the Christian message. Once again in these verses we note the rapid growth. Now turn over to Acts 21, 18 to 20. The next day Paul went in with us to meet with James and all the elders of the Jerusalem church were present. After greetings were exchanged, Paul gave a detailed account of the things God had accomplished among the Gentiles through his ministry. After hearing this, they praised God, but then they said, You know, dear brother, how many thousands of Jews have also believed. The Greek word literally means tens of thousands. Bible scholars estimate there were about 100,000 members in the Jerusalem church within the first 25 years. Dr. Campbell Morgan says there was a minimum of 60,000. How big was the city of Jerusalem? Archaeologists say in Bible times, Jerusalem had a population of 200,000. So here we have a church of 100,000 in a population of 200,000. Half the city had become Christians. No wonder their enemies said, 
you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching. The question is, what lessons can we learn and apply to the life of our church today that will keep our church growing at a very significant rate? First of all, we must live and serve in the Holy Spirit's power. After his resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples on several occasions. In one of these meetings, as he was eating a meal with them, he told them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends what he promised. Remember, I've told you about this before. Jesus baptised with water, but in just a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. This took place 50 days later in what is called the day of Pentecost. What it means for us today is that the moment you became a Christian, you were filled, you were baptised with the Holy Spirit. Acts 1 and 8 explains what the result should be. But when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, said Jesus, you will receive power and will tell people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the first thing we have to do if we intend to further expand this church's life and ministry is to act on the basis that we are spirit-filled members of his body. When you say that Jesus has absolute control of your life and when you say you are filled with his spirit, you are saying the very same thing. If Jesus is the strong leader in your life, you are a spirit-filled Christian. For Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father are all one. Romans 8 verse 9 reminds us, you are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember, those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living them are not Christians at all. So we must learn to live moment by moment depending on his power. But let me say frankly, it's easier to do that in some circumstances than in others. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. What mitigates against us living and serving in the power of the Holy Spirit is our failure to recognise that the living Christ dwells within us by his Spirit. And in his strength, we can achieve what for us would be humanly impossible. You know, I really believe that most Christians do not know that they're filled with the Spirit of God. That most Christians are waiting for some kind of feeling experience that enables them to know that they are filled with the Spirit of God. What a difference it would make if we went out tomorrow and in every activity that we undertook at work, or in the life of the church, or wherever we are, 
we said to ourselves, I've been filled with the Spirit of God and I'm going to act on the basis that the Spirit of God empowers me. We must learn to depend 24 hours a day upon the supply of the Spirit to control our total life. One of the characteristics of those who are not relying on the Holy Spirit within them is tiredness and fatigue. Shall I say, I get so disappointed that when you ask people how they are, they say nine times out of ten, I'm tired. I'm tired. People running on their own resources and not relying on the empowering of the Spirit of God within them. So Paul could write to the Colossians, so everywhere we go, we tell everyone about Christ. We warn them and teach them with all the wisdom God has given us, for we want to present them to God mature in their relationship to Christ. Now this is the sentence that I've underlined in my Bible. I work very hard at this as I depend on Christ's mighty power that works within me. That's the secret. Depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. So if we're to continue to grow as a church, all of us must live and serve in the power of the Holy Spirit. If we're to continue to grow, secondly, we must maintain a warm and friendly fellowship. We already have one, but we must develop it even more. The whole idea stems from Acts 2, 22 to 24, when those first Christians met together, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, sharing in the Lord's Supper and in prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders and all the believers met together constantly and shared everything they had. The early Christians were known by their love for each other. Koinonia is the one Greek word we all learnt during the 40 days of uh, purpose. It's the Greek word for fellowship. It means being committed to each other as we're committed to Jesus Christ. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. When there's a really warm fellowship, you have to lock the doors to keep lost people out because people are hungry today for the kind of love Christians uniquely can provide. In Truman Capote's Other Voices, Other Rooms, the hero is about to walk along a heavy but rotting beam over a deep murky creek. Stepping out, starting gingerly, he felt he would never reach the other side. Always he would be balanced here, suspended between land and in the dark alone. Then feeling the board shake as Idabel started across, 
He remembered that he had someone to be together with and could go on. I shiver at the thought of having to go it alone. I get chills when I consider where I might be if at the right time I had not felt the board shake because someone was walking with me. One mark of the fellowship of this church we offer to people who come to us, I trust will always be acceptance and a listening ear. Is there anything that enhances the value and worth of a person person more than being listened to? When you listen to me, you say to me, I value you. You are important. When I really listen to a person, the gap between me and the person to whom I listen is bridged. A sensitivity comes that is born of Christ's spirit. I feel the pain, the frustrations, the anguish. The miraculous thing is that I don't have to have an answer for the person with whom I'm sharing. In my listening, I become the answer. And if something specific is needed, the Holy Spirit will reveal that in the listening relationship. And we can all do that to some extent as we offer the community a quality of fellowship they will find nowhere else. To keep the church growing, we must maintain a warm and friendly fellowship. Thirdly, we must multiply hospitality in small groups. Acts 2, 46 and 47, they worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. First, a word about hospitality. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity. These early Christians were hospitable, like Jesus the leader. Do you remember when John baptised Jesus in the River Jordan? John knew this was the promised Messiah because he saw the dove, the symbol of the Holy Spirit, resting on Jesus. But the next day when John pointed two of his followers to Jesus with the statement, look, there is the Lamb of God, they started to follow Jesus because their curiosity had been more than aroused and they wanted to find out for themselves if this really was the promised one. Jesus knew they were following and he turned to greet them. What do you want, he asked them. They replied, teacher, where are you staying? That was not their basic quest, but they could hardly blurt out their real reason for following him. Come and see, Jesus said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place and they stayed there the rest of the day. Even though Jesus was and is the Son of God, he earned the right to share the secrets of his Father with people by extending hospitality, in this case to these two men who became his lifelong friends. Hospitality, says Karen Maines, is a marvellous gift of the Holy Spirit 
given to contemporary Christians so that they may minister to a dying society. A few years back, I was directing a reach out on the north shore of Sydney with 185 churches involved. And at the outset, as I contemplated what needed to take place in the churches and thought of that 6,000 seat tent which we eventually filled for two weeks, night after night. As I thought about the task ahead, I wondered, how were we going to get Christians to relate to non-Christians? I went into a bookshop and saw this book, Open Heart, Open Home, by Karen Maines. I read the book and I realised that this was the key to what could be accomplished on the north side of Sydney. If Australian Christians could only learn to open their homes and their hearts to people, we would have people coming in the hundreds to the crusade. The problem was I could only find about a dozen books in all the bookshops. So I imported, believe it or not, 5,000 copies of Open Heart, Open Home. And the last five copies I have now, I've donated to the library so that you can get a copy if you're among the first five to go to the library after the service. But that resulted in half of those churches doing a study of this book over a seven-week period. And in those churches, the people who responded to the gospel in the crusade, the referrals that went back to their churches, was beyond anything we've ever known in a crusade before. They learnt that through hospitality, you can build a bridge of friendship to people. I left the north shore of Sydney and flew to St John, New Brunswick for another reach out in that city. In Canada, this is. I was met by the Anglican minister who told me that he'd advertised me to speak in a meeting the next night in his church and hoped that that would be all right. He said, there's another person who's going to speak with you. And I said, who's that? And he said, Karen Maines, the author of this book, whom I'd never met before in my life. And that lady turned out to be a wonderful lady, later to speak for me at a banquet in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we had 1,500 people present. And again, the idea of hospitality, opening our homes and our hearts to people as the secret of growing the church, rang a bell in the hearts of the people there. There's no better way to build a bridge of friendship to a neighbour or a work associate or anyone than to invite them into your home for coffee or even for a meal. Now a word about home groups. The early Christians met in the temple for worship in private homes for other activities. Solomon's court where the people met could take 50,000 people They stood up for worship in those days 
But it also says they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Fellowship, hospitality and teaching were blended in the early church in the homes of the Christians. Now let me mention three advantages of home groups. First of all, they are infinitely expandable. The largest church in the world is in South Korea. It has 600,000 members. These are accommodated at worship in a 25,000-seat auditorium in seven services with an overflow room comprising 11 storeys, each seating 2,000 people with a widescreen TV. And as I said, they fill up seven times each Sunday. But the secret of their growth lies in their home groups. They have 50,000 home groups. In effect, they have 50,000 lay pastors. Each of those small groups reproduce themselves every six months. They say, now you go off and start your own group. And the whole idea is to multiply, multiply, multiply to keep expanding. Home groups are infinitely expandable. And then they can be unlimited geographically. Do you know how many communities outside Bodonga and Albury are represented by people from our church? According to our church directory, the answer is 26, some of whom have one or more groups functioning now. In the last four years, we've doubled the number of groups in our church each two years. Let's do it again in the next two years. What if we caught the vision of doubling the number of home groups in Wodonga and Albury and establishing one or more home groups in each of the 26 localities I just referred to? Home groups deepen fellowship with people. People are more relaxed in a small group. They get closer to each other in a home. And that is how and why in the early church Each day the Lord added to their group those who were being saved. And if you'd like to plan in this connection to start a home group or you want to join one, be sure to go to the information desk and talk to the people there, Mary or Lee or Jeff if he's there, because they'll help you. So many people send emails to these people, but it's far better to see them in person and they can discuss what is the best action for you to take. The fourth insight into a growing church is we must magnify our concept of God and the power of prayer. Peter and John had healed a lame man. They'd been put in prison and released and told never to speak again in the name of Jesus. And we read in Acts 4.23, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John found the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. 
Then all the believers were united as they lifted up their voices in prayer. And they reminded, reminded God that he was the sovereign God, the powerful God, the awesome God, who can accomplish his purpose in history. And then they went on like this. This is what happened here in this city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant whom you anointed. In fact, everything they did occurred according to your eternal will and plan. And now, O Lord, hear their threats. Now, O Lord, hear their threats. My friends, after 50 odd years in serving churches all around the place, I'm convinced that if we had been in a similar situation, do you know what the prayer of the Christians in today's world would be? Lord, keep us safe. Lord, protect us. You're the one that's able to keep us safe. I've had more prayers prayed for me about my safety than I've had about my boldness. But they didn't pray like that. They said, oh Lord, hear their their threats and give your servants great boldness in their preaching. Send your healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. There was no hold the fort mentality here. They didn't even mention Satan. They were on the offensive. Jesus had said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Are gates defensive or offensive weapons? They are defensive. So Jesus is saying even the gates of hell cannot stand against his church. It all starts with praying the right kind of prayers. Pray visionary prayers for yourself and for the church. Pray them as you come to church or prepare for service in the community. And if the prayers don't express what you feel, pray them until you feel what they express. Settle for nothing less than the measure of the fullness of God. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. And that's why I like what Phillips Brooks said. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers, but for powers equal to your tasks and you will be the miracle and the answer to your prayers. We must magnify our concept of God and the power of prayer if the church is to keep growing. And I'm just going to mention point number five and pass on to the last. We must model Christ-like generosity. Acts 4, 32 to 35, no one claimed that any of his possessions were his own, but they shared everything they had. Notice what their motto was, not mine, but thine. Some may think this sounds like communism, 
But there's a difference. Communism says, what's yours is mine and I'm going to take it. Christianity says, what mine is yours and I'm going to give it. God blesses a giving church. And finally, we must move out with God's mission. They initially moved out in Jerusalem. The church got bigger and bigger. But the Lord had said, not just Jerusalem, there's Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. How easy it would be for us to remain content with what has been achieved to date. But will you notice that in the end, God brought some pressure to bear upon those early Christians in the form of persecution. Acts 8 and 1 tells us a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles fled into Judea and Samaria. The pastors stayed in Jerusalem. The lay people were scattered abroad. Verse 4 explains, but the believers who had fled Jerusalem went everywhere preaching the good news about Jesus. The historian Gibbon records, it became the most sacred duty of every new Christian to share with another the inestimable blessings he had received. We've got to get out of the church buildings into the community and the society at large. What strategy, may I ask, do you have for infiltrating the place of your secular employment with the gospel? Generally, it starts with one person sharing with another and praying that person into the kingdom. As God's people, as far as possible, we must move out of our church buildings into the community and we must not fool ourselves that attendance at church meetings, even when they're dealing with essential business, will enable us to get the job done. Jesus did not say, I am come that you might have church meetings. He said, my purpose is to give life in all its fullness. Where has life lived? Mainly in the home, the family, and in the marketplace. That's where we should take the gospel, to the families in the area where we live, to the marketplace where we work. We're called by Jesus to be salt and light, metaphors of penetration. We are summoned to establish a bridgehead into the homes and lives of people. Ask yourself with the people you meet, what is the key to their heart? Is it a problem with kids, loneliness, illness, unemployment, a breakdown of relationships, stress on the job, a friend or soulmate who died? Everybody has a hidden hurt. You count on it. Find that hurt by simply listening to people. Establish a bridge of friendship so that Christ can walk across that bridge into their life.
It's not likely that we'll have to face the kind of persecution the early Christians endured, but I trust that God will motivate us to become intentional about reaching out to people as the Holy Spirit inspires us with his power. So, we will continue to be a growing church as all of us live and serve with the Holy Spirit's power as we help to maintain a warm and accepting fellowship, as we multiply hospitality and home groups, as we magnify our concept of God and the power of right praying, model Christ-like generosity and beyond all else, move out, move out on God's mission. Let us share a prayer together. Loving Father, when we read the story of what J.B. Phillips called the young church in action, we're both excited and motivated. We believe with all our hearts that if we accept the fact of our empowerment by the Holy Spirit, you can do in our day immeasurably above everything we can imagine according to the power of your Spirit working in each of us and in all of us together. May the vision of this church reaching out to people constantly inspire in us a spirit of daring faith and humble trust and a sense of adventure until the good news of your gospel illumines the homes and hearts of all the people of Wodonga and beyond. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.